0: One of the ways we describe our relationships with other people is that we call them by different names. The great illustration is the relationship I have with my wife. I call her friend, wise advocate and advisor, and sweetheart. And then I call her bride and valentine and all kinds of names. Well, it seems to me that uh, we do the same thing with the Lord. Uh, probably the most common name that we ascribe to him is Savior, which is appropriately appropriate. Uh, we refer to him as Lord. But there is one name in the Scripture of him that is more comprehensive than in all those other names. I used to have a book entitled 280 Names of Jesus. Well, this is the one name that is more comprehensive than perhaps any other. I don't often hear it used. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I have ever heard it used, although it's one of the most well-known titles of the Lord in all of the Scripture. I am referring, of course, to the 23rd Psalm where David said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's the name. What is interesting about that is that David was the shepherd. As a youth, he tended the sheep on the side of the hill. As an older man, he was king, and in those days they often called the king a shepherd. David knew well what it meant to be a shepherd. In this passage, he reverses the image He says, the Lord is the shepherd, and I am a little lamb. So he designates the Lord as his shepherd. And says, because of that relationship, I shall not want. Wow. Whatever does that mean? Well, in order to answer that question, I'd like to invite your attention to Psalm 23. And while you're turning there, let me mention that, like a lot of passages of Scripture, this one has several different possible interpretations. One is that um, all the way through, the image is of a shepherd. Some say that halfway through, the image changes to shepherd and host. And there are actually some who want to chop it up into three pieces and say that it is shepherd, it is host and it is God. I personally have looked at this passage for many years, it's one of my favorite in all of the Scripture, and I think that the concept of shepherd is followed through all six verses, as I will show in a minute. But I think this psalm is interesting because it's one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, and yet I've spoken on it literally hundreds of times in various places, and people will come up to me and say, I never understood it. I didn't understand all the things that you explained in it. I think that this not only is misunderstood, I think sometimes this passage just flat out get misapplied, which reminds me of the little girl who was being disciplined. And her family, in order to punish her, made her sit in the corner. And at dinner time, they put up a little table and she had to sit all by herself and And then the parents said, don't forget to pray. And the little girl bowed her head and said, I thank you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) That's not exactly what this passage is about. But what is it about? When David says, I shall not want, what is he talking about? What is included? Well, let's look at the passage. You know it. Some of you have it memorized, I don't doubt. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Uh, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is he saying? I think the whole psalm is summed up in that first verse. Since the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the rest of the psalm spells out what God supplies so that he can say, I shall not want." Now what are the specifics? Well the first thing I would say is that he talks about his physical need. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now think for just a second. You're a lamb, a small sheep. What would green pasture and water be to you? Your physical need. Now some try to make this a picture of peace and tranquility, and that may be implied, but I think this is talking about physical need. Matter of fact, some say that this was written when he was fleeing from Absalom, and that he and his army literally needed food, and they literally needed something to drink, So, David is saying, the Lord has supplied that need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, notice, he doesn't just um, lead me to a pasture, he makes me lie down in it. Now, what is that? He's not only being fed, he's full. He is uh, completely satisfied. The picture here is what happens to you after Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) You are completely full. Then he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, plural. So this isn't just a one-time occasion. He is constantly supplying this need. It is not only for food, it is for drink. He said, he leads me. Ah, stop. That's significant. The Lord leads us. He does not drive us. There is the story of a tourist who was in Israel, and he saw somebody, a man, driving some sheep. And the tourist asked the guide, what's that? I always taught that the Lord leads us. He doesn't drive us. And there's a shepherd driving the sheep. And the guide said, oh no, that's not a shepherd, that's the butcher. (laughs) The Lord leads us. He leads us to still waters. Huh, that's interesting. Why would he say that? Well, put yourself in the place of a little lamb. The shepherd would take them where they could drink. If it was a mountain stream and the water was running down the mountain It would frighten the sheep. They were afraid that the water would splash up on them and drag them under the water. So the shepherd would take stones and dam up some of the water so that the water was calm and the water was still and they could drink without fear. So David is saying in this verse, The Lord is my shepherd. He supplies my physical need so that I do not lack. Ah. Is that a poetic truth tucked away in a psalm in the Old Testament? Or is that a present truth that applies to today? Could we honestly say that the Lord supplies our physical need? Well let me assure you this is a New Testament promise as well as an Old Testament picture. In the Sermon on the Mount Jesus talked about what you put on, and what you eat, and that kind of thing. And then he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. Well, if you read the context of Matthew chapter 6, you will see that the these things are what you eat and what you put on. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In the book of Philippians, Paul thanks them for supporting his missionary activity. He lists all that in the fourth chapter as he closes. And then he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. He didn't say out of his riches, he said according to his riches. Now if a millionaire gives me money out of his riches, that's one thing. If he gives me money according to his riches, that's an entirely different matter. So he's going to supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. One other word about that. The Lord sometimes supernaturally does that. In my lifetime I've seen that happen on more than one occasion. But most often, he does it by means. And the means is our work. That's why we thank him when we eat that he supplied it. Though we worked and paid for it, we acknowledge that he gave us the strength to do it and that ultimately it was his supply. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm amazed. At how up-to-date the Bible is. That's as, as relevant as today's newspaper. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. The Lord supplies our need, even our physical need. The second thing he says is he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now that is clearly not physical. He has clearly moved on to a second category. This can only be called spiritual. He restores my soul. It is the tendency of sheep to wander away. They've been called dumb animals. That's why it's so appropriate to call Christians sheep. We can be dumb and wander away. There's a story Jesus told of the shepherd leaving the ninety and nine to go find the one. And there is the picture of the shepherd holding one of the little lambs. Ever seen a picture like that? Used to think that was his favorite. Well, more than likely, that's the one that wandered away and he had to go after it and he's bringing it back. That's what's really going on. I heard once, I'm not sure how true this is, but the spiritual truth is there, that um, sometimes if the lamb did it repeatedly, he broke its leg. And then he had to carry it until the leg healed. And that's why you see the picture of him carrying the lamb. This I know, that sometimes when we wander away, the Lord disciplines us. And sometimes that is painful. At any rate, it is the job of the shepherd to restore us. As the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I leave it. Prone to leave the God I love. So the shepherd restores us. But the second part of this spiritual need is he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't want us to wander off and restore us so that we can wander off and he restore us. So that we can wander off and he restore us. He wants us to be restored so he can lead us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Wow. Instead of us wandering off into sin, he wants to lead us into righteousness. Now, how does he do that? Well, may I take the answer from the image. How does the shepherd lead the sheep? By feeding them. They follow him because he feeds them them. So the Lord leads us by feeding us. And that he does through his word. May I make a suggestion? Do you read the word? You realize we have an opportunity that until recent times, modern times, people didn't have. They didn't have a copy of the scripture that they could read every day. Till the inventing of the printing press, so that we have a copy of it. Matter of fact, we have multiple copies of it. Matter of fact I have, I don't know, 26 translations in my iPhone. That's not mentioning all the foreign translations and it goes on and on and on. Maybe you should spend more time reading the Scripture because that's the way the Lord leads us and guides us into His righteousness. Matter of fact uh, everybody's walking around looking at, have you noticed this? I, I stop at a red light and they're walking across the street with that little thing, you know? It's incredible. Fine, uh there's a couple of apps I could recommend and you could uh, do that and look at the Scripture. How about that for an idea? It's in your pocket. All 66 books in that little thing called a phone. Incredible. I use it all the time. All right. So he's talking about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He meets my physical need. He meets my spiritual need. And then he says this Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Huh. What's that? Well, It's not physical. In a sense, it's not even spiritual. It's emotional. He meets our emotional need. It talks about the valley of darkness, the shadow of darkness, the valley of the shadow of darkness. I understand that there was a ravine, and sometimes the shepherd took the sheep from one place to another to get to another pasture, and he took them through this ravine ravine, that was tall and slender and cut out all the light. And they got into that deep ravine and they got frightened. And they would cry, meh, meh. And the shepherd would lead them out. And David takes that and says, I will fear no evil. And one of the reasons I will fear no evil. Is it's only the shadow. It's only the shadow. It's only a shadow. As only he can say it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, The shadow of the dog cannot bite, the shadow of the sword cannot kill, and the shadow of death cannot destroy. It's only the shadow. One of the greatest Bible teachers of the 20th century was a man named Donald Gray Barnhouse was great illustrations. He used plenty of them. His wife died before he did and he decided that he would preach the funeral knowing that was tough. He said I've been preaching all my life that the grace of God is sufficient so I'm going to trust the grace of God to do this. He and his adult children entered the car, driving to the service. They stopped at a red light and a truck came through the intersection. The shadow fell across the car. Barnhouse looked at his kids and said, isn't it wonderful to be hit by the shadow and not the truck? So when you're hit with a shadow of death, just remember. It's only a shadow. So David says I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear even when I'm hit by the shadow of death. Now I want to know, how do you do that? How does God meet that need? Well I'm going to tell you. It's buried in this psalm. But it's often missed. Listen carefully. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For what's the next word? You. Did you catch it? Did you get it? Up until this point, he's talked about the shepherd. He, 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 he. He gets in the valley of the shadow of death and he talks to the shepherd. That's the key. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you talk to the shepherd. So He then says, and you will be with me. Wow. I will fear no evil for you are with me. So through prayer, we can be assured of the presence of God in our valley of the shadow of death. That's a New Testament promise as well. In the Great Commission, he said, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. His presence is with us. And we can be assured of that in the valley of the shadow of death as we talk to him. Then he says, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So instead of fear, There is comfort. He comforts me as a lamb. I look up at the shepherd and I see that rod and that staff and I am comforted. How does that work? Well the rod was a baseball looking affair that the shepherd used to beat off predators. And the staff is that familiar hooked staff that we're familiar with that he used to uh, pull off a wolf maybe or If the little lamb was about to go over a precipice, he could hook it around the neck and pull it back. In other words, these were the tools, the instruments, the shepherd used to protect the sheep. So he says, I will fear no evil because when I look at the shepherd, I'm aware that he has the tools to protect me. He has the power to protect me. And then he says... You, addressing the Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now what is the point of a table? Is it is not the picture of tranquility and fellowship. So he's addressing the Lord, and he's talking about his relationship with the Lord. And he pictures it as sitting at a table. But what's fascinating is it's in the presence of my enemies. Ah. Just because you have a relationship with the Lord and just because you have a you're in fellowship with the Lord doesn't mean the enemies go away. You have fellowship with the Lord in the presence of the enemy. Interesting. So that the image here is like you're in a pasture, a field And there's a banquet table and you're having a great time of fellowship with the people at the table and the Lord. And he puts a bubble over the table and the wolves are looking in but can't get to you. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Then he says, he anoints my head with oil. Now I take it that all of these things, the rod, the staff, the table, and the oil are all things the shepherd uses to protect the sheep. This oil thing is really fascinating to me. How did that get in here? What is anointing my head with oil? Let me quote what one shepherd said. Only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of flies. At the very first sign of flies among the flock, he will apply an anecdote to their head. I always preferred to use the homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, supper, and tar, which was smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. What an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil was applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation. Gone the irritability and the restlessness. Instead, the sheep would start to feed quietly again and then soon lie down in peaceful contentment. Only one application of the oil, supper and tar, was not enough for the entire summer. It was a process that had to be repeated. A fresh application was made with the effective anecdote. So he uses oil to protect us from the irritation of flies. I don't think you can really appreciate that living in California. I grew up in Florida, and believe me, that's vivid to me. You're constantly shooing away the flies. Then he says, my cup runs over. Wow. I'm going to be so blessed. It's like I got a cup, and God pours the blessing in, and he pours so much blessing in, the cup runs over. I know a lady who personalized her license plate. It reads M-C-R-O. And the first time I saw it, I said, what in the world does that mean? And she said, my cup runs over. You can see that license plate in the parking lot. It's on the card that belongs to my wife. My cup runs over. Ah. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wow. Goodness and mercy. That's what the cup is full of. It's going to follow me all the days of my life. So this isn't just a crisis experience and a one-time event. I'm going to have it all the days of my life. I heard a preacher once suggest that these were the sheep dogs of the flock and that they were constantly keeping the sheep in line. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Is that your experience? You experience that daily? The Lord blessing you with his goodness and mercy? Tim was a little five-year-old boy that his mother very much loved, and being a worrier, she was concerned about him walking to school when he started kindergarten. She walked with him to school the first couple of days. But when he came home one day, he told his mother that he did not want her walking him to school every day. He wanted to be like the big boys. He protested loudly. So she had an idea of how to handle it. She asked a neighbor, Mrs. Goodness, if she would follow her son to school at a distance behind him but so far that he would not likely see it but close enough to watch him. She said she would agree. She said, matter of fact, she and her toddler had to get up every morning at that time anyway, and it would be good for them to take uh, a walk. So next school day, Mrs. Goodnest and her little daughter, Mercy, set out following little Tim as he walked to school with another neighbor boy he knew. She did this for the whole week. As the boys walked and chatted, kicking stones and twigs, one of the little friends of Timmy noticed that the same lady was following them, And she did it every day that week. Finally, he said to Tim, have you noticed that lady following us all week? Do you know her? Tim nonchalantly replied, yeah, I know who she is. Little Wren said, well, who is she? Well, that's Shirley Goodness and her daughter, Mercy. Tim said uh, uh, to her friend, his friend said, well, who the heck is she? And what is she doing following us? And Tim says, well, every night my mother makes me say the 23rd Psalm and my prayers because she worries about me so much. And in it, the prayer, the psalmist says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I guess I just have to get used to it. (laughs) Ah. Ah. Let me tell you from experience, if the Lord is your shepherd, you're just going to have to get used to it. Goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. Now, so far I've mentioned physical need, spiritual need, emotional need. There's one more. Look at the last Part of the last verse and i will dwell in the house of the lord for forever now this is a, a real interesting phrase and it has several possible meanings uh, for one thing uh, the word dwell is same as restore back up in verse 2, or verse 3 I should say. And some say that what David is saying I'm going to be restored to the tabernacle. Uh, If this is written while he was running from Absalom, that may be the case. Another possibility is he's saying I will dwell in the house of the Lord, meaning not literally but perhaps figuratively in that I will dwell in the presence of the Lord. Uh, However, the thing that impresses me is he says forever. And that seems to me to carry it beyond a lifetime. It seems to me he's saying that God is going to meet my eternal need. Ah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is going to meet my physical, spiritual, emotional, and eternal need. Now how does he do that? Well, the psalm doesn't tell us. That's the end of the psalm. Well, how does he do it? The New Testament tells us Jesus said that he was the good shepherd and he laid down his life for the sheep. In the Old Testament, the sheep laid down their life for the shepherd. In the New Testament, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Most of you have heard me say this over and over again. It bears repeating. Perhaps some haven't. The Bible teaches we're sinners. The Bible teaches there's a penalty for that. It clearly states the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That means separation from God. And then it gives us the good news. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, if you will, died in our place to pay for our sin. The penalty is death. Jesus died. Did you get it? The penalty It's $500. Jesus paid. The penalty is $5,000. Jesus paid. The penalty is $5 million. Jesus paid. The penalty is $5 billion. Jesus paid. The penalty is a figure beyond our imagination in the trillions and beyond. And Jesus paid. Whatever the penalty, Jesus paid. So I can be given a gift. He paid for it. I get it freely. Matter of fact, the Bible says, come, drink of the water of life freely. We are justified freely. And all those verses in Revelation and Romans means without cost. It's a gift. It's a gift. And all you have to do is be willing to receive it, which is done by trusting in Jesus Christ. So you come as a helpless, disobedient little lamb. And you say I have sinned, but I believe that Jesus paid for my sin and arose from the dead and I trust in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. And then you can say on the assurance of God's word that you got it. In case you want the verse, it's the other most famous verse in all of the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You put John 3.16 right next to Psalm 23 verse 6 and you got it. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That we can say I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm at the end of the passage but I'm not done. (laughs) Do you understand the passage? You got it? Have you ever understood it like that before? I must confess I knew the passage for years until I had someone crack it open for me like I cracked it open for you. Here's what I don't want you to ever forget. If the Lord is your shepherd, he will meet your physical, spiritual, emotional, and eternal need. I said I'm at the end of the passage, but I'm not done. Because I want to talk about this for a minute. I read a piece some time ago that I think really puts this in perspective. It says, beneath the burning skies and the clear starry night of Palestine, there grows up between the shepherd and his flock a union of attraction and tenderness. It is the country where, at any moment, the sheep are liable to be swept away by some mountain torrent, or carried off by some robbers, or torn by wolves. At any moment, their protector may have to save them from personal hazard. It is the country, too, we may add, of long scorching summer days and intense parsing drought when the fresh plants and the living streams are beyond all price, and the shepherd's care and skill must be taxed to provide for his flock. And thus there grows up between the man and the dumb creatures he protects a kind of friendship. Along in the vast solaces, with no human being near, the shepherd and the sheep feel a life in common. Differences disappear, the vast integral between the man and the beast, the single point of union is felt strongly. One is the love of the protector, the other the love of the grateful life. And so between the lives so distant, there is woven by night and day, by summer suns and winter frost, a living network of sympathy. The greatest and least mingle their being together. They feel each other. The shepherd knows his sheep and is known by them. Now the reason I read that is because I think it so touches the issue of this is a personal relationship. He called it friendship. Spiritually we call it fellowship. Call it what you will. There's a a relationship that's deeply, deeply personal between you as a lamb and the Lord as the shepherd. You see, the most important word perhaps in this whole passage I skipped over. It's the one word that's key to this being a reality in your life. The first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Is he just your savior? Or is he your shepherd? Do you walk around in need, in fear? You can be a Christian and do that. Or you can walk around saying, I shall not want, I shall not fear, because I shall dwell. Now let me tell you how to make the Lord your shepherd. You make him your savior by trusting him for the gift of eternal life. You make him your shepherd by taking every need to Him every day, all day. If you want a verse that says that so very clearly, it's 1 Peter 5, 7, which should be written down next to this whole passage. Casting all of our care upon Him because He cares for us. The Lord wants us to cast every care, every concern, every crisis on him. And that's when he becomes our shepherd. And we sense his care, his protection, and his provision. So what I want to know is the Lord your shepherd. I labored today to explain the psalm to you. And I trust that you'll walk out of here knowing the psalm like you've never known it before. But oh, way beyond that is I want you to know the shepherd. There's a difference between knowing the psalm and knowing the shepherd. The last five or six so years I've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. After having done the New Testament preached through all those. I've preached through some of the Old Testament but I went back and wanted to cover it all. And one overwhelming truth has come to me over and over again. And that is simply this. The Lord wants to be involved in my life. There's that little phrase I didn't pay much attention to. I will be their God. I will be their God. What does that mean? I want to be your shepherd. I want to supply your need. Matter of fact, when we go to some other source to get the need met, he gets jealous. He says, I'm a jealous God. I want to be your God, and I'm jealous if I'm not. That's how strongly he feels about this. I think there have been times in my life when I've come sheepishly to the Lord and said, I hate to bother you again. No, no, no. That's all wrong. I repent. No, I come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in time of need. That's the other verse you need to write down. Hebrews 4.12. You see, I think properly understood and properly experienced, this psalm contains it all. That if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack for any of the needs of life. He didn't promise to supply all your wants, but he did promise to supply all your needs. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you know him as a shepherd or just as a savior? Years ago I heard a story. I don't recall if it was a true story or not, but it so illustrates the point I can't resist repeating it. According to the story, there was a pastor who had been the pastor of a church for many years, 25 as I recall, And it was time for him to retire. He was an old man. And the congregation was so grateful for his many years of ministry that they decided to have a celebration. And they brought in people to speak and uh, singers to sing. And at one point during the celebration a man got up with a marvelous voice and he sang the 23rd Psalm because they knew it was the pastor's favorite passage of Scripture. It was incredibly done, gifted voice. It was so well done that when he got done, the people stood and applauded. And after all the rituals and ceremonies and thanks and praise, they asked the shepherd if he would say a few words. He was overtaken by the whole event. He didn't want it, really. He got up, thanked them, and then he said this. Let me close with my favorite passage of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There was no applause. No one stood. Just sort of a sober silence fell over the crowd. A visitor didn't understand. And he turned to a member of the church and he said, I don't get it. The singer sang those very words, and they stood and applauded. And that old man gets up and rattles them off, and some of them are even crying. What happened? The church member said, Oh, you don't understand. The singer knows the 23rd Psalm, the pastor knows the shepherd. Father, as pastor of this flock, my greatest concern, my greatest prayer is that every member of it may know you as a shepherd. Lord, may this passage, your word, so be indelibly impressed upon our minds and our hearts that we really revel in coming to you as a shepherd and having you meet our needs. Lord, glorify yourself through your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.